Leading Britain's Conversation. This is a podcast from LBC. James O'Brien. It is now time for your, your weekly dose of light-heartedness and levity. Mystery Hour is upon us. Um, I think, actually, given the fact that we've come to it rather late, you could probably be spared one of my uh, lengthy explanations of precisely how Mystery Hour works. But, of course, we haven't taken any phone calls on the programme for 20 minutes, and that historically sometimes leads to a slightly slow start. So I, I mentioned that to you so that you know... If you hit the numbers now, you will get through. 0345 is the number that you need. And um, you will only hear me mention that number, of course, as and when I have vacancies on the old board. If you know how it works and you've got a question, you probably won't get a better opportunity to get to the front of the queue in the next few months than you do or the, than you have today. If you don't know how it works, I will fill you in briefly. And how brief this filling in is depends on how many people get in touch uh, quickly and accept this invitation uh, to curtail my customary introduction. It's, it's, it's about mysteries, questions that must have answers, but you don't know what the answer is. The who, why, what, where, when, when's, with, or wherefore, why do we do that, where does that come from, can be hardcore scientific, you know, something really complicated, academic and difficult, or it can be really, really silly. Oh, I've flipping forgotten again. Do you know, I woke up this morning and I had one in my mind and I absolutely said to myself, don't forget that one today, and it's gone. It's, it's slipped out of my mind. It will slip back in again. Every time I get in a taxi, well, not every time, but very often when I get in a taxi, I have a conversation about this curious inability to remember the stuff that you've said to yourself since last Thursday. I must ring up on Thursday and ask him that question. I always say to the taxi drivers, I'm the same. Don't feel bad about it. I present the flipping thing, and I'm always, even on it this week, Thursday morning, it's got as far as Thursday morning, rolling out of bed. Thinking, I must ask that question. I really want to know the answer to it, but I didn't. I didn't. Um, should we just crack on then today and, and do away with? Are we good? Are we good to go, guys? We good to go? We good to go? Let's go. Twelve ten. Christian is in Balham. Christian, question or answer? Uh, question, please. Carry on. Um, why is a cowlick called a cowlick? I was getting my hair cut um, the other day. Um, my hairdresser is from the Lebanon, oh, yeah. and he said it's exactly the same in Lebanese. It's called a cowlick. What is and a cowlick? Why... Just just fill me in on exactly what a cowlick um, is. It's an unruly bit of hair that people frequently have where it spikes up. And I have it on one side, and it's always been incredibly unruly. Really? Yeah. I've never yeah. heard, I think my whole head is a cowlick, to be honest. What little hair I've got left, none of it really. So it's not a style. It's not a deliberate style. It's, some, it's a bit of your hair that goes out of kilter with the, gro- with the grain, if you will, of the rest of your bonds. Uh, yes, yeah, it's slightly on the right-hand side, and it always seems to poke up. Doesn't oh, it has to be, it has to be on one it's a specific place, then? It, it... And I don't believe it has to be on a specific place. I'm uns- you know what, I'm unsure. I know okay. um, I have it on the front of my hair. Um, I'm not sure where else you can have it. Could it know. be, and I'm not going to go definitive on this, I'm just going to throw it out there, because part of the joys of Mystery Hour is trying to work stuff out. Could it be that if you were a little calf, and I was your mum and you had a bit of pokey-out fur, I'd give it a lick until it went down flat. Quite possibly. Could be. Yeah? And then why a cow and not a goat? Because well, a goat couldn't reach. A goat couldn't reach your head. Or it looks like a cow has licked your head, and post-lick, that's when you've got the bit poking out of your head. <laughs> but then who, who would know what a head looks goat? like that's just been recently licked by a cow? Uh, who knows? And to have it... As the same term in two different languages or countries, the Lebanon and the UK, I wondered why... Yeah, although you are treating your Lebanese barber as if he is um, absolutely gospel truth. 
He absolutely is. He promised me that he was. Fair enough. No, I like it. It's on the board. <laughs> why, why is a cowlick called a cowlick? Now we know what a cowlick is. How many cows can a cowlick lick? 03456060973 is the number that you need. Simon is in Littlehampton. Simon, question or answer? Oh, hi, James. Uh, it's a question. Carry on. It's a question. And I happen to notice, stocking up on our tonic water last weekend, yes. um, that... It is always titled Indian Tonic Water. It is. But not, not necessarily a brand. No. The different stores that we're in all did their own Indian Tonic Water. Yes. But what is, what is the connection that it is Indian Tonic Water? Well, I happen to know it. Well, I think I Do know you? it. Yeah, I think I know it. So what, 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 what it all boils down to, right, is the empire and malaria. Can you join the dots yet? <laughs> Not yet, but so we sent on. we sent out our um, doughty defenders of Britannia to all corners of the earth to sort of um, uh, take over and run things. India being obviously one of the biggest examples of this, and cool. it was discovered, of course, that often they would fall foul of native diseases, most worryingly malaria carried by mosquitoes. And I suspect the purity of drinking water might have been pertinent to this as well. So they decided that they wanted to make something that was bottled and, and watertight and therefore you could drink it um, without fear of, of typhoid or cholera. But the malaria is relevant because Indian tonic water contains quite high levels of quinine. All right. And quinine either, I think it makes you less attractive to mosquitoes or it, 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 it works on the malarial bug it certainly is an enemy of malaria quinine so it was a way of getting british people in india to consume the quinine that would help them fight off malaria well there you go are you going to take that uh, well as a clearly as a gin drinker you must uh well, i'm more of a, vo- more, more of a vodka man myself but i never adulterate it with tonic water simon how dare you how dare you cast aspersions <laughs> oh, yeah. upon the hard corners of my booze consumption just a couple of ice cubes if i'm if i'm feeling fancy right <laughs> right round, round, round of applause for me take care. take care of yourself there you go i'm pretty sure that's true as ever on the program if you're new to it then there is uh, room for a steward's inquiry if i get something wrong then um uh, you are perfectly entitled to point it out. That holds true across all the other subjects that we discuss as well, but it's more likely to happen during Mystery Hour than perhaps it is during the other 14 hours of the week. You're listening to a podcast of James O'Brien from LBC. I think we've nailed the Indian tonic water, but we certainly don't know why a cowlick is called a cowlick. It refers to a, an unruly patch of hair. Um, where does it come from? Quite, quite a few. In the Slavonic languages, apparently, there's a reference to lick, although it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a cow. But according to our caller, his Lebanese barber said the word translates more or less literally into into his language. So cow lick in uh, sort of both corners of the world. That's the question in need of an answer. Let's get a few more on the board. Malky is in Golders Green. Malky, question or answer? Um, question is actually do with language as well. Yes. I've been watching something and it's talking about the ancient language of Latin or Greek or whatever. What's the newest language? And I don't mean slang. What's the newest language? Why, well, there'd be various different definitions, wouldn't there? There'd be sort of internationally recognised. I would put money on Esperanto. Is that, I mean, a language, as in French, Italian, whatever. It is a language, yeah, but it's not relevant to... Yeah, it was... It was, it was a very ill, well, I don't know if it was ill-conceived or not, but when I was at school, you, you could actually take lessons in Esperanto. It was a, it was an invented language that was Is designed it a, to, considered a language. Well, you could speak in, it, you could write it, and you couldn't understand it if you hadn't learned it. And it, but it wasn't based on a nas- nation or upon an ev- a linguistic evolution. It was a European project actually to try and find 
a language that the whole of Europe could speak. Good grief, how times have changed. Could you Do imagine the... Do we speak v- it? Uh, no, 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 it didn't catch right, on. What's the newest language? But that's the language. You don't have to speak. It's a language and so it exists. Does anybody speak it? Yes, like lots of people. If you wanted people. to say this is the newest language. Yes, I still get sent the occasional press release from the Esperanto Society. It's, it, it's still around, but it's not... Um, it, well, it never became as popular as, obviously, the people hoped it would. So it's an international auxiliary language devised in 1887. So and we, that's the newest language. Well, I don't know. I mean, flipping heck, you're quite a hard task, <laughs> mistress. I can't think of a newer one. But how are we... I mean, unless someone has invented something since, or they've... I can't see well, how there could be a newer language than that, because they might have discovered another language which hadn't been previously discovered, but it won't be new. It can't have predated 1900, can it? No, but I just wanted to know what is the official newest language. Esperanto. Esperanto. Does that mean you're giving yourself a round of applause? No, that would that, that that would be too egotistical. And you know me, Mackie. Uh-huh. Not for sure. E- no, not for sure. Ego the size of a hazelnut. All right, mm. I shall I shall leave it on the board. What is the newest language? Esperanto. Twenty-one minutes after twelve. What's Esperanto for? I told you so. I might need to prepare that phrase for later in the program. Uh, Sean's in Long Melford in Suffolk. Sean, question or answer? It's an answer, James. Carry on, Sean. Uh, so it's in reference to the cowlick. Yes. Now, I'm using common sense here oh. and experience based upon the fact that I am a dairy farmer's son and I've, I grew up with these things. Fair enough. Um, the rogue piece of hair <laughs> re- uh, resembles the, the lick of a cow. If you imagine, like, when a cow... If you've seen it in adverts and things, I'm sure. Um, when a cow licks its own nose, it sort of curls up long and, long and curly. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to take your word for this as the son of a dairy farmer, but I, 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 I just caught myself trying to do it in the studio, which is not a very... So the cow, a cow licks its own nose? Yeah. Like licking its own chops, but, it's got the, but cows have got amazingly long tongues. Because they haven't got any fingers, so they can't pick their nose in the normal fashion. Well, I should imagine so. That'll be it. God, imagine yeah. how to get your tongue right in there. <laughs> yeah, um, so, but it, it sort of curls up. If you, if you remember, I think, it was it Tinto? Or the, the, had Tintin. The, the little dog? Tintin or whatever, no, Tintin yeah. is Tintin, Tintin has a cow lick. Yeah, yeah, he had a little cow lick on the front of his head, didn't he? Uh, and it's the same shape as what a cow's tongue looks like when it's licking its nose. Absolutely. Strong. You reckon? Yeah, I reckon. Uh, yeah, because otherwise, why a cow? Like the fella said, it could get licked by a goat or any other sort of ruminant. Whereas this is actually yeah, specific but, but to a cow. Tongues don't do that. Bing, goes, exactly. Only got short little tongues. Exactly, pathetic little tongues, like Donald Trump's fingers. Round of applause for Sean. <laughs> yes, I can bring it into absolutely everything. It's a gift. Uh, 22 minutes after 12 is the time. Tim's in Denmark Hill. Tim, question or answer? Good, af- good afternoon, James. Um, I've got a question, and my friends have been telling me not to ask it. Why? Let's start with why they don't want you to ask it. Oh, well, most of the time they thought he wouldn't get on air, but I proved them on there, oh, so this one's for Fred and Dan. All right. <laughs> Hello, Fred but, and Dan. Go on, what have we got? <laughs> okay. Why do human beings have the menopause when so few other animals do? Very, very few others. Is that true? I, mean, I don't know enough about other mammals to, to, to know whether or not it is unique or very specific to humans. Um, I think fertility drops off in other primates and things like that, but in terms of menopause, killer whales have it. Do they? A porpoise have it, yeah. Porpoise. But the reason is, the question is why? And I honestly don't know. The evolutionary advantage of of menopause, or... I mean, there might not be one, but... 
Yeah, I don't no, know no. either. I just I, I sometimes wonder if I like the question because it, it it piques my interest. Yeah. But I don't know if it is a proper question. Do you see what I mean? It's, 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 I mean, why not? Well, it, why? I sometimes worry that questions that begin with why, if you can answer them with why not, then it's not a proper question. I think if there were a disadvantage to it, it would have been sort of sidelined by evolution. But it yeah. obviously serves some purpose, but I can't quite work out what it is. Yeah, I mean, right. we're social animals. Orca are social animals, so it could be that. Yeah, or you know, the, I mean, the, preserving the herd. The, the, yeah, preserving the herd, the risk. Yeah, but why would that? You wouldn't expect that to get bred out, so to speak, would you? In that way, I like well, it. I mean, well, you're on. Yeah, you're on. Well, you. I think Fred and Dan are idiots, thinking that this wouldn't get on board. <laughs> You've made me so happy. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. I thought I might have done. Twenty-four minutes after twelve. I didn't mean it, Fred. All down. Uh, Bradley's in um, oh, Gillingham. Bradley, question or answer? Question. The sigh was only because I've got a mental blockage on Gillingham, mate. And I always think in the back of my mind it's Gillingham. It has nothing to do with you, Bradley, so please don't take no, that sigh past me. Two in there, one in Dorset, one in Kent. I, I, I got it right, it's different. Gillingham. There is also a Gillingham somewhere, but we digress. What's your question? Yeah, why don't dogs um, squint? So, in other words, if a dog looks at the sun or put a bright light on it, they don't squint. Yet cats do. Uh. Again, I think it would just because they've got a different ocular biology from us and cats, won't it? I mean, why don't owls squint? There you go, yeah. Their, well, eye, their eyes are made different. I would have thought evolutionarily that if I shine yeah. a light in your eyes and you can keep your eyes open and still see me, then you're less likely to tear my throat out with your teeth. So that, that would be the evolutionary advantage that a dog has when it doesn't shut its eyes when confronted with a bright light. Yeah. And also, what, what are you all going to talk about when Brexit's over? Well, I mean... Bradley, what are we talking about now? Chilling an hour. Squinting dogs. <laughs> Squinting dogs, mate. I've got to laugh a bit louder and then you won't feel so embarrassed. All right, cheers. Yeah. Uh, Martin's in Eastbourne. Martin, question or answer? Uh, question, mate. Carry on. Uh, why does chefs wear silly trousers? I like that. You mean the checky ones? Well, I saw, I saw a chef the other day. He had, like, flamingos all over them. Right, well, I mean, is, are you on a horse? No, no, sorry, I've got my hazard warning on. Sorry, I thought you were on a horse. I've never had a call from someone on a horse. Nick and I have had calls off a Thatcher, who's often on a roof, but I'd love to have taken a call. I mean, it's probably not safe to use a mobile phone when you're on a horse. It's dangerous enough in a car. Um, <laughs> silly, they have a patterned trouser that's specific to chefing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I like that. I've never thought about that either. Oh three four five six oh six oh nine seven three is the number that you need. What's the newest language? Esperanto. Why do humans go through the menopause and when so few other creatures do? Um, Indian tonic water we've done. Cowlick we've done. Indian tonic water you can steward's inquiry if you want, but I'm, it's got to be the quinine malaria India triangle. And why do chefs wear? Um, I won't say silly, I'll say distinctive. Why do chefs wear distinctive trousers? Christoph is in Wembley Park. Christoph, question or answer? Hello, James. It's Hello. a question. Carry on. Uh, why do the doors on domestic or residential properties always open inwards? Do you mean the front doors? Yeah, I said the main doors. I don't yes. know if I didn't. Yeah, the main, the, the, the main doors. Yeah, front doors usually that would be. So that you don't clatter someone who's outside? Well, I did... That one did occur to me, but I, I, I don't know whether that would be sort of put into building regulations, for example. So is, for example is it in the building regulations? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> if, if I decided to build a house and have the front door opening outwards, I mean, is it, is it just convention? Is it building regulations? Because it kind of occurs to me that if you're in your house, uh, 
uh, you'd want to make it as easy as possible for you to get out if there was a fire. Um, so you'd want to open out. So you'd, you'd burst out of the... Yeah. But I think it is, I presume... I, well, I, I, well, I can't give myself a round of applause. I'd be amazed if, if part of the answer at least doesn't involve minimising the risk of me standing outside your door just raising my hand to knock and you opening it and sending me flying. I mean, yeah, I, I, that, that, that's what I thought of. But is, is that a strong enough reason for, for kind of making it such a, such a, you know... You think there might be other, other reasons? I like this question. <laughs> I like this question. Let's find out. And uh, there is another one as well linked to this, because I, I feel I haven't shown off my knowledge for a couple of calls, so I'll just throw in some random knowledge now in order to feed my rapacious ego. Um, it's something to do with servants opening the indoor doors, why, why they open... So if you've got a door... So that the servant couldn't see you if you were getting... When the servant came in in the morning, you got a warning, so they couldn't see yeah. you if you were in the altogether. In it's, fact, one of my friends re-hung some of his doors. Same here. I did as well in one of my... Space, in, yeah. I did it in one of my daughter's rooms, because it was actually... It t- took up too much space when you opened. The problem is the light switch now is behind the door. Uh, he, he was in the fortunate position of being able to rewire his house as well, so he got the light switch has moved <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's this sort of banter that has seen the audience go up by 2% on this programme in the last three months, Christoph. Oh, oh, thanks thanks for giving me some credit, James. That's great. (laughs) You're very welcome. (laughs) 29 minutes after 12 is the time you're listening to James O'Brien on LBC. Why do doors always open inwards? Front doors in particular, main doors, outdoor doors, external doors. There you go, we got there. We got there in the end. Why do external doors open outwards? Why do chefs wear those distinctive trousers? Why do humans have the menopause? What's the newest language? And anything else that you want to put on the board will be happily included. It's coming up to half past 12. You're listening to James O'Brien on LBC, where we continue to voyage, I think, into the unknown. Um, Should we squeeze in one more or should we go to the... Well, I've only got 10 seconds until the news headlines. No, I'm going to hit the news headlines for once. Absolutely bang on time. Just give me a second here. You're listening to a podcast of James O'Brien from LBC. There's some really interesting questions this week, and they're not necessarily the ones that I thought would be really interesting at at, at first glance, which is more a reflection on my uh, failures failures and foibles than it is upon anything more objective but the, the the doors opening outwards has prompted a veritable cavalcade of controversy and the question about um dogs squinting you shine a light into a dog's eyes why why doesn't it squint or close its eyes i think we're going to hear from dr dog again do you remember vieri who was on last week from frankfurt and turned out to be an international animal behaviorist of of, of high repute so there's quite a lot to get through on this one um Let's crack on. Ben's in Twickenham. Ben, question or answer? Answer. Thank you, James. Carry on, Ben. Um, so why why do we go through the menopause? Um, it, it's an interesting one because there's actually only five species on, on Earth that do it. Seriously? There's us. Yeah, us and four Killer whales. whales. Killer, oh, four killer whales, whales and us. Four, four, well, killer whales, which are dolphins. Um, beluga whales, shortfin pilot whales, and narwhals are the only ones that go through the menopause. Narwhals are among my favourite creatures on God's earth. They are absolutely beautiful. They're like unicorns. Um, they're unicorns of the sea. Yeah. Except they're I, real. Brexiters. <laughs> Carry on. Well, maybe not. Maybe not if global warming keeps, keeps up. Yeah. Anyway, um, so you were discussing earlier about the social aspect, which which partially explains it. Yeah. Um, but what it is, it's, 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 it's the effect of grandmothers. So when a um, when a when a female has had her offspring yes. um, and she raises them, it takes a lot of effort and energy. And as she gets older, 
um, she starts to have less. And so from a genetic point of view, um, she is better off investing in um, her grandchildren at that point. Right, yes. So um, if you look at those other species that do it, they are... Um, we're not, we, we probably did used to be, actually, at some point in our history, but matriarchal yes. in the sense that the, the group has uh, revolved around the females. Yes. And uh, so she has her children, um, and they are raised as a group, and then it's her daughter's turn to have uh, their children. Um, and so instead of compete in the group, instead of competing with her daughters for protection of the group um, and, and trying to protect her own children, trying to feed them, all of those sorts of things. So it's tribal. Uh, it, well, but yeah. in, in, in the sense, or, or community, family, it's, it's, it, it's, it's not about individual evolution, it's about no. social evolution. Well, yes, and, and actually you can pin, pin it back to individual uh, well, evolution of the gene, at yeah. least. So when, when a female has, or when anybody has a child, they carry half their genes. Yeah. Now, when those children have children, they are carrying a quarter of the genes of the original. So by the time you get down to that, those, those grandchildren, there's more than four of them. So from a genetic point of view, the, that, the original female is better off ensuring that her grandchildren survive to have more children. So if she has five or six of them, uh, or eight or yeah. twelve, okay. so it's, it's a pure numbers game. So it's post Darwin. It's post Darwin. This because well, the, I mean, actually, I mean, this is, I mean, this is an interesting one because this was brought up. Um, this, this this was first hypothesised with um, behavioural genetics and sort of the fifties and the sixties. Yes, and um, essentially, what it comes down to is is that evolution is not working on an individual. It's not working That's on... That's what I mean, species. yes, exactly. It, it, it works on an individual gene. And so the genes, um, from a genetic point of view, those genes need an individual to fit when those genes are passed on. Sure. So you could either have two of your own children passing on your genes or four of your ch- four of grandchildren, grandchildren yeah. and so on. So I get it, I understand. Have, if you have four children and they each have four children or five children or whatever, by the time you get to, down to there, you've got so many of your own genes going down there that um, that actually you are, from a fitness point of view, better off than just trying to produce more of your own. Bingo. Which you've probably, you've gotten old, you may have run out of energy, it's more difficult. Tell me about it. All of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so, so that, that's what it is. You're it's on it. Qualifications? Uh, biology teacher. That'll do. Round of applause for Ben. And the biology teacher, that was a brilliant... Have you ever read The Ant and the Peacock by Helena Cronin, Ben? I have not. Like, may no. I recommend it to you? I, I will look at it. If it is available. She taught me um, many, 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 many years ago. I hope it's still in print. If it isn't, you should be able to find a copy. It's fascinating about the things that, uh, you, that, that evolution has expanded to encompass and explain, which you've just given as an example of very, very adroitly. 12.40 is the time. I've got some phone lines free for questions, actually. We've got loads of answers on the board, but we've got plenty of time to squeeze in a couple more questions. 03456060973 is the number that you need. Um, the, the other one, I got. I sometimes do that. I lost my thread a bit when I was telling you about the questions that came in that have turned out to be a lot more interesting than I thought they would be. You've got the front door question, but the newest language, it's unlikely to be. I don't think we can accept Klingon, can we? Or... Made up. I know. I know you've said no, 
I'm speaking to my colleague now through the glass, because I've had so many complaints from people who've rung in to mention that these languages like Klingon or some of Tolkien's elvish languages or even... What's the one in Game of Thrones? Has that been recognised as a proper language as well? I, but I, I don't think I want to take those. It has to be something that human beings use to communicate. That's fair, isn't it? I mean, that started off with human beings using it to communicate. So don't ring in and tell me that you can speak Klingon. Seriously, don't ring in and tell me that you can speak Klingon. 12.41 is the time. Uh, Paul's in St. Paul's. I can't let that pass, just without a small smile. A ra- I don't know how you smile on the radio. Paul's in St. Paul's. Lovely. Uh, Paul, what yeah. would you like to say? Yeah, so it's about the door one. Go on. Um, so it's actually a, a fire-related issue. Is it? So if, if, yeah, if, you, if you think about the sort of general philosophy, if there's a fire, everyone needs to get out. If you treat a building as like a bucket of water... I Just hang on, but I'm going to come back to you in one second. But first of all, I have to... Read out this. This worries me slightly. Peak mansplaining, listening to two men wrongly discussing the menopause. To, to be fair, it was a biology teacher talking to me. Whether he was male or female isn't really relevant. But if that is wrong, we'll take a steward's inquiry on it. Back to the front doors. Yeah, so if you imagine a building, is like a bucket of water. So the more holes you have and the larger the holes, the faster the water is going to disperse from the bucket. And the exact same principle applies to buildings. So any pinch points that you have are going to affect that flow rate. So if you have a door opening outwards that is not going to impede the flow as much as the door uh, that opens inwards. So all these are based on notional flow times, which is a lecture in itself. Basically, there was a fire in the early 1900s where in Edinburgh, fire went off. They didn't tell anyone, but they told the band, keep playing the national anthem, and everyone got out within two and a half minutes. And from then, that's been treated as gospel. Everyone just has to get out of a building within two and a half minutes. That's the sort of notional flow time. Okay. So... So that's why, traditionally, uh, if you have more than 60 people in a room, that's why doors would open outwards. So his question was, why do they open inwards? And that's more of a practicality type thing. So if you have less than 60, you can get past this because you're not really affecting that flow rate. And similarly, if you're in, say, a flat where you have, like, a common corridor, you wouldn't want the doors to open out anyway because they would impede the corridor. Yes, of course, and you'd you'd, you'd be whacking people left, right and centre. What are your qualifications? I think I know. Uh, I'm a fire engineer. And we've spoken before. Yeah, we have. On, on, on fire-related issues. Yes. I thought so. So I, I don't think I can argue with you, can I? But there, there other people have pointed out lots of other things, like, for example, um, rain. If your front door opened outwards, then every time it was raining, you'd be pulling water back into your hall carpet, wouldn't you? If it opened inwards, rather, you'd be, you'd be bringing all the wet and out wind from outside. And also, if it opened outwards and it was really really windy out it could get ripped off the hinges and also well, well, are, go on sorry no? there are a number of yeah obviously like practical reasons for it but what i'm saying is the reason for that is because the 60 maximum, or, uh, maximum is that a convention or a people. law is that, is that i mean that, that, well that, that's a recommendation you're asking is it building related yeah. yes it is and that is within that's not that's the, the regulation not 60 people but yeah. that's one of the recommendations you use to fulfill the functional requirements which is law you're on. Well, hang on. Is Peter in Portsmouth available? Because Paul, I've got Peter and Paul now. If only Peter was in St. Peter, but he's in Portsmouth. That's close. You're going to challenge Paul. Remember, he's a fire engineer, Peter. That's fine. All right, uh, bring yeah, it. You, Come, on. Uh, you can, Come on. You can have fire doors that work in both operations, sorry, uh, opening out and opening in, the same as you can residential doors. Uh, there's nothing in the building regs that stipulate 
that the fire door has to open out or open in. Uh, we manufacture about 4,000 of them a week. It's just purely... <laughs> oh, that's a strong play, Paul. He makes the doors, 4,000 a week. I'm not disputing that, because there are doors, as I say, that would open outwards, and that's purely for convention reasons, but ultimately, what is going to drive the direction? So I'm not talking about your store cupboards or places of special fire hazards. Purely for means of escape, where you have a fire door, that will need to open outwards, assuming you have more than 60 people. But he is right, in the sense that you will have some fire doors that will open outwards. If I go home now and rehang my front door to open outwards, will I get into trouble? No. No. Right. There we go. Uh, so, with regards, I think I caught uh, uh, as part of the conversation there that the, the if you had the door opening the opposite way, that the wind would rip it off the hinges. Yeah, that's you would fit an overhead closer or an no, overhead. Hang on a bit. All right, lads, calm down, lads. It's all getting a bit. It's, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's all getting a bit technical for me now on that one. Obviously, so, I... yeah. No, it's just a convention. All right, round of applause for both of you, Peter and Paul. God bless Peter. God bless Paul. Fly away, Peter. Fly away, Paul. You're listening to a podcast of James O'Brien from LBC. Tying in briefly to digress from mystery, uh, tying in very briefly um, with that suggestion I made in the first hour about Donald Trump and how uh, it's now reached a point where stuff that would once have stopped traffic and been headline news around the world because of its uh, utter um, unacceptability has now become normal. He has now tweeted in response to um, bombs being sent to a number of the people he has personally and specifically insulted and, and uh, incited hatred against in his speeches. He's now said, a very big part of the anger we see today in our society is caused by the purposely false and inaccurate reporting of the mainstream media that I refer to as fake news. So there it is. Absolute evidence of, I mean, this is 1930s level of fascistic posturing it just is i mean it's not a matter of opinion it's a matter of historical fact he he is repeatedly revealed to have lied my favorite probably when he said that he'd said would instead of wouldn't do you remember that then that would have been a moment where anybody else's career was over but of course what he has understood throughout all of his career is if you if you treat people as if they are stupid and full of hate then you will get enough of them to buy your products or invest in your ludicrous university or whatever it may be treat people as if they're stupid and you will you'll never be cold or hungry and there it is that's quite incredible so cnn gets sent a bomb and donald trump blames cnn hillary clinton gets sent a bomb donald trump blames hillary clinton george soros gets sent a bomb donald trump blames george soros i just wonder what the political affiliations of this terrorist might be no, I don't. Oh, let's get back to mystery. Our goodness knows we need the smiles. And Dr. Dog is here. I speak of Vieri, of course, who is in Frankfurt, Germany, and has joined us, I presume, to answer a question about dogs. And there's only one on the board, so I will still ask you, but I think I know the answer. Question or answer, Vieri? It is an answer. Carry on. The dog's eyes, and why do dogs squint, or rather, do, do they squint at all? Yes. The answer is they squint very slightly. Okay. Uh, and the reason is because dogs' eyes are very different to human eyes. Mm. In that, for example, they don't see red and green, but they are very good at seeing movement, okay. uh, but not so good at seeing differences in shade, light and darkness, because they don't need it. Yes. They need to see movement because they're predators. So they will not squint necessarily when you shine a torch into their eyes, but what you will see is the reflection from uh, what's known as the reflective carpet on, you know, at the back of the eye. 
And you see that from lots of animals. But, you of know, course as I you said, do. Well, dogs, so that's why you see it in the dirt. It's why people go lamping, isn't it? You, you, you see yeah. it. Sorry, I don't That's mean. how you also find animals in the dark in the woods. Yes, of course. You just shine a light and then you see suddenly lots of you know, like cat's eyes looking at you. Yes. So yeah. dogs have that as well? Dogs have that as well. But if you think, think you know, your dog, if you take a red ball mm. and you place it on the green grass, she will not see it. Right? But if the red ball moves, she will see it. Oh, how interesting. So that's one of the big differences between them and us. Also, they I don't see very sharply. So no. they, you know, they tend to see on a scale of, you know, one to ten, where ten is perfectly sharp, they'll see a five or six. So, you know, they're going through a foggy yeah. world, essentially. Well, I know. Except that, of course, they've got their nose to, um, to see do the we... world much better than we have. Yes, yeah, of course, just completely different creatures. But yeah. is there a, an evolutionary explanation for this? Yeah, it's specialization. Go on. Uh, dogs are specialized predators um, hunting uh, originally in packs. Um, so they, they, that's why they communicate through body language and not vocalization. They mm-hmm. don't sort of say, hey, look, there's a deer, because otherwise the deer is going to run away. Yes. So they'll communicate through body language, and they will identify anything that moves. That's why they've got such good eyes. But even better uh, is, of course, their nose. So they can identify things that, which are miles and miles and miles away. And, and go after them, trail them. Beautiful answer. I mean, I, I mean, this is. I, 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 I <laughs> look forward to you answering more questions about dogs. You've got that ability. Well, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that you've been told this before, but it's why you're so successful at doing what you do. But enthusiasm sometimes it doesn't matter what the subject is. Enthusiasm is mm. is, is infectious, and you, you have that gift, like Brian Cox, the astronomer, well, of making. It, it's great fun. It really is. Well, clearly it is. Clearly it is. Doctor, How's your dog doing, by the way? Is she still barking at the door? She, she's all right. I've been really busy. I, I don't know if you know, but I've got a book out soon, and uh, I've been doing quite a yeah, lot of promotion. once or twice. Yeah, so. I, well, I thought it might have slipped through the net. I've been doing a lot of <laughs> promotional work and interviews, so I'm not at home yeah. much at the moment, and the, the, the kids are away for half term, so with the dog, right. so I haven't been able to um, uh, impose my newfound skills on her yet, but I shall. I, I reward her. If, if, you, if you need any pointers, just give us a buzz. I shall. No worries. Thank you very much. Keep Vieri's number on fire, please. Thank you very much indeed, Vieri. Um, round of applause. <laughs> hmm. Professor Hal is here. Why? Hello, James. Hello, Hal. How are you doing? I'm all right. What do you want? Um, I want to big you up a little bit, oh, because right, you were about 60% right with um, oh, the Queenie answer. see what he did there, 50%. The question was about India. Yeah. Um, the the question India. wasn't about science, it was about why India. But James, I'm trying to big you up, mate. All right, go on. Um, quinine is indeed a prophylactic against um, malaria, and um, it didn't taste very nice, so folks used to start add- adding extract juniper berries. Oh, yeah. And not for the first time did um, an alcoholic drink originate from a medicinal use. Absinthe, or pastis, yes. perno, um, that used to be an extract from the Artemisia absinthium, which is the um, giant wormwood tree. Yeah, everyone knows that. And um, Napoleon used to use it because his soldiers were getting um, tapeworms and they used to get this oily liquid out. But the soldiers didn't like it, so they added um, licorice, fennel and aniseed. And one of several medicines that come from the bark of trees, aspirin, Aspirin, comes from the willow tree. Yeah, I know, you're just um, showing off now. You're not actually adding anything to what I asked about Indian tonic water. No, I was picking you up about the fact that quinine is indeed a prophylactic and that also comes from the tree. And that is why it is Indian, is because malaria didn't become a big problem for British people until they were spending a lot of time in India. That's absolutely... And the same with India pale ale. Pale ale didn't um, survive the trip, so they had to make it slightly stronger. Is that right? IPA? As opposed to bitter? Yeah, no, you're right. But you haven't... haven't, I mean, I appreciate you bigging me up and all that, but for the record, you haven't actually added anything to the answer that I provided except the word prophylactic, which even I'm not going to giggle at. 
Oh, I mind you a <laughs> bit, all right. Hal <laughs> <laughs> said prophylactic. <laughs> I told you the Latin name for the giant wormwood tree. That's quite a big up. Yeah, I know, but no one's asked. I mean, you know how mystery hour works. Better than anyone. No one's rung in and said, what's the, what's the Latin name for the giant wormwood tree? And then I'd do a sort of brief Jacob Rees-Mogg impersonation, and then you'd ring in and provide it, and then you'd get a round of applause. But you've just phoned in with pretty much random knowledge. If everyone did that, we'd never get, we'd never get any questions answered. Well, how about I tell you a nice mystery hour-related anecdote from my trip back from Russia, then? I, I can't do that, Hal. I've got people waiting with actual answers. Well, can you do it in ten seconds? No. Oh, well, should um, we do it next week? Because it's 12.57. It we'll squeeze you in next week. I want to hear this anecdote now. He's, he's, he's built up the tension, but Sarah's got an answer in Hampton. To what? Question or answer, Sarah? I have an answer for you, James, about the chef's trousers. Gah, splendid. Why are they so distinctive? Uh, it's mostly for hygiene reasons, actually. Oh. Um, the, when you are working in a kitchen, you shouldn't be wearing the same clothes that you sit on the sofa and cuddle your dog with. So the trousers are designed to be very specific to the kitchen. So when you go to work, you go in the kitchen oh, and you simple. change your clothes. Just behaviour. It's a nudge. Different. It's a nudge theory, then. It's just the way of nudging people into behaving better. Yes. I like it. Qualifications? And it, it's not to do with specific patterns or anything like that. No, so just something that you wouldn't wear outside. Something yes. that you would only... Unless you were Ivan, actually, who works on this programme. He wears some absolutely banging trousers. Um, but he's not a chef, so that doesn't really matter. What are your qualifications? I run a catering company. That'll do nicely. Round of applause for Sarah. <laughs> a lovely answer. Squeeze in Matthew in Belfast. Matthew, question or answer? Uh, answer, James, about the languages. You're going to have to be very quick because it's an appalling line, and we're short of time as well. Go on. Um, would it not be Serbian and Bosnian and Montenegrin when the Eastern European bloc was broken up in the late 80s? But I don't know, because Serbo-Croat, surely they didn't start speaking different languages after, the, after Yugoslavia dissolved. Well, I know with fairly decent levels of confidence that Bosnian was codified then. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is a strong play, and, and it allows me. Do you know the serbo croat word for beer? No, no, my serbo croats really poor. Pivo. Ah, I used to. Okay. Well, it used to be a party trick of mine. I knew the word for beer in a hundred different languages. You learn something every day on the show. Well, you try to. You try to. Give them yeah. a round of applause for being calm and, and, and interesting. Uh, that's it from me for another day. We will do it all again tomorrow morning from ten. In the meantime, the next voice you will hear belongs to Sheila Fogg. If you enjoyed this podcast, hear James O'Brien live every weekday morning from 10, only on LBC.